Welcome to the Arena Decklist Podcast. I'm Gary Thompson, joined by Brian Gottlieb, and we got a few preview cards to talk about today. Uh, not a ton of information has come in for call time. I think for the rest of this, we kind of have to wait until after the holidays, but uh, we got some ones that we could talk about. Yeah, I think what we have gotten so far contains a lot of really interesting stuff for the most part, things that are worth talking about. And also, we're dealing with a little bit of a lull right now, right? There's not hugely pertinent competitive events coming up. And we've all done this standard. We've done this historic. There haven't been any big shakeups, no bans or anything like that. So it, it just seems like a good time to do a little call time focus. I think this is what's really piquing the excitement of Magic players at the moment. Uh, myself included. Mm-hmm. Ready for something new, for sure. Yeah, historic was interesting for uh, about a month, maybe a month and a half. And it kind of ran its course, you know, and then we started getting new cards. So yeah. th- these aren't these aren't the most exciting cards in the universe, but they're they're all pretty reasonable and they they do enough to, you know, keep my mind occupied and make me actually want to think about them. Let, let's have a two second check in on historic because I, I haven't really discussed this with you, although I've been making the case elsewhere that it, it's time for Uro to leave that format. I, I just don't think there's anything beneficial going on in conjunction with the Paradox Engine decks, which we did talk about a little bit a couple of weeks ago. Um, they've kind of morphed into a teamer thing now, but there's also the Sultai four-color stuff still out there. Are you ready to be done with Uro too? Oh, it's time now. Yeah, it's time now. It, it wasn't six months ago? It was, but we were being generous and we didn't want to be overly negative and we gave it its chance. And if you can make the argument that as soon as Uro existed, its time was already up, much like uh, Omnath, basically. But for whatever reason, we gave Uro a much longer path. And I, I think it's a even more egregious card than Omnath, actually. Um, it just doesn't have maybe the same upfront effect, so it's easier to push it under the rug. But it is just as warping, just as dominant, just as annoying and boring and uh, I'm over it and I'm I'm building a coalition around the removal of Uro which is what you have to do these days you have to put it out there on social media you talk about it on your podcast until there's just this groundswell of support for finally being done with the stupid stupid card I tell you what if you get Uro banned in historic I will most likely become interested in historic again okay I think you're not alone in that statement. I think a bunch of people are just off it. They're they're done playing against that card, and I understand why. It is boring, repetitive, overpowered, all the bad things a magic card can be, or Uro does them all. Yeah, agreed. And if, if that's gone, I think then, you know, control decks have to play a little bit more fair. Midrange def- definitely has to play more fair. And realistically, what you see is like the non-Uro decks probably stay the same you know like sacrifice is still going to be pretty good goblin's still going to be pretty good Mm -hmm. but i'm definitely interested to see what shape the the decks that formerly were playing uro would have to do in order to succeed in the format you know what took down the last uh scg open since we have last convened and talked about historic right i do not know it was won by rakdos arcanist which should surprise nobody who listens to this podcast regularly as this deck continues to be very good. Also, like there was this thing going on with the Teamer Paradox Engine deck where if you looked at the win rate of Teamer Paradox Engine across the eight qualifiers of the SCG Open, it had like a seven or a 58% win rate, like looked truly broken in qualifiers. And then you got to the actual event 
And people had seen that over the week and finally started adapting. And it put up like a 38% win rate in the actual main event. So huge fall off. But it makes a lot of sense, right? Because it it is pretty targetable, but you have to do so purposefully. And when the deck starts generating hype and you start seeing those kind of win rates, then you can make a case for it. It's a lot like goblins in that regard. Like we've seen goblins win rate fluctuate between, you know, sometimes as low as 35%, some high, sometimes as high as like 60%. And it almost always correlates to exactly how much the deck is being paid attention to. But my point was that Rakdos Arcanist does a really good job of just naturally accounting for a lot of the things that the team or paradox engine deck does. It's very disruptive. It handles artifacts well, and it's just like consistently good against the entire field. So I continue to be surprised that the deck fell off to the scale it did, but I am not surprised to see it take down yet another tournament. Yeah, same. All, all that tracks with me. Good. We are in agreement. No, nothing more to say about Historic in that case. I'm, I'm ready for new cards. Cool. Halvar, God of Battle. Two dub dub, legendary creature god, 4-4. Four, four. Uh, this is a DFC also. Creatures you control that are enchanted or equipped have double strike. At the beginning of each combat, you may attach target aura or equipment attached to a creature you control to target creature you control. The backside is Sword of the Realms, one dub, legendary artifact equipment. Equipped creature gets plus two, plus O, and has vigilance. Whenever equipped creature dies, return it to its owner's hand. Equip one dub. I think I want to start with the backside of this card. I, <laughs> I think this is actually That's- the more interesting part of this card to me. Yeah, that's the conclusion that I came to for sure. So I like that you're starting there. Okay, so equipment mostly has fallen out of favor in standard formats. I think there is some concern about repetitive play patterns, which is laughable in the face of like the cards we have dealt with. I, I would take equipment over things like Uro and Omnath any day of the week. But I, I do get the concern, like certainly just having fodder and slapping the same piece of equipment on it is awkward and it leads to a lot of the same states and this is doing a lot of that and i think it's doing so at a really good power level i just kind of buy this as a reasonable card i'm not saying this is like a card you would go out of your way to play or it's a focal point of the format but it's reasonable and i'm talking just about sort of the realms this might in fact with the exception of things like ember cleave which i don't consider it a traditional piece of equipment it's kind of like a combo piece to me it's a fireball yeah, that, that's a better way of looking at it. This feels like more traditional equipment. Like this is in the vein of swords or Umzawa's Jite or all those classic pieces of equipment that we saw way back in the day. This tracks to those. And I, I think it does so pretty well. Am, am I off base in seeing this as just a reasonable magic card? No, so it's it's worse than those cards, I'm pretty sure. For but, sure, I, I agree. But it, it does have a lot of the same things going with it. Like two mana to play, two to equip. Those are reasonable numbers. You know, it's like maybe a little bit on the expensive side for something that you would actually want to play in Constructed. But mm-hmm. uh, pumping power is certainly relevant. Uh, vigilance, maybe not so much. But also, you know, when a crew creature dies, return it to its owner's hands. Like that's that's solid. It's going to take a lot of mana to, you know, then replay your creature, maybe re-equip the equipment. So you're going to be starved on mana a lot of the time, but there are worse places to be if you're an aggressive deck, right? Sure. And I even think you can make a good case for mid-range given the way creatures are constructed this day, these days and what they do when they enter the battlefield. Like when you return a creature to your hand, 
it's not about you're getting your creature again. It's about you're getting whatever comes into the battlefield effect that creature brings with it. Cause you know, it almost certainly has one for a creature to see play this these days. That's just what it does. So you get a rebuy on your skyclave apparition or your Urian is back in your hand. And all of those scenarios are huge, huge swings where you get that effect again. So I, I think it's even better than it reads because you're actually getting a spell back in most cases with sort of the realms as opposed to just, fodder like what you used to get back in the day although this makes a good case for fodder as well like it turns all of that disposable stuff into something that can actually matter i'd also say if there's a good first strike creature out there like putting plus two oh and vigilance on a first strike creature is yeah. a, a really big deal as far as shutting down opposing offense no that's true too uh skyclave apparition i think is the obvious one and i think what's you know really going to happen is rather than them, you know, trading with your thing and you getting it back. I mean, realistically, you're just going to keep hitting them for four with your Skyclave, which is obviously fine, you know? Yep. But I think that the when a Crypt Creature dies clause is going to happen very infrequently. But I mean, if your opponent is forced to play a Shatter the Sky or something like that, I mean, this gives you insurance against that and that's good. Yeah, good thing for white decks to pick up in general. I, I think they've lacked some of that in recent times. Yeah, uh, I mean, front side of Halvar, four mana, four, four. It's a god, but it's not indestructible. And the text, at least with what we have now, does not seem super appealing. Like if you if you start with a sword and then you have another copy, so you play the front side Halvar, now your thing has double strike, which is what you're talking about, basically, having a first strike thing with the power pumping and the vigilance. So even like drawing two of them isn't that bad right. uh, despite you know both sides being legendary like you're you're getting a reasonable thing uh on each side yeah and I, I think it's for the most part it's going to provide multiples protection and i i think that's the biggest thing about sort of the realms as a strike against it as just a playable card on its face is that it is legendary. So you can't load up on four sort of the realms in your deck to really build your game plan around it and always have it but when you get this flip card, which is playing very, very well with additional copies of Halvar, because now you get your equipment side, and also is like respectable on its face, I don't see a huge amount of ways to get paid for the double strike ability short of just multiple copies of this specific card. Like it's really hard for me to picture you jamming a bunch of auras into your deck or really any other equipments, although there's some out there. I mean, I I've played my share of uh, Maul of the Skyclaves. I think that card is a little underrated still. So yeah. moving that around sounds pretty good. It, at least it's a path forward for like a white deck that isn't just here are all my one drops or a white deck function as a support color. I can actually see some kind of mid-range-ish white strategy existing on the back of Halvar. And I'm, I'm not trying to say it's certainly happening. I'm not saying this strikes me as one of the sure to be best cards in the set, but there's a lot of potential here. And it's just good to see that out of what feels like a more traditional white card than most, even if you had to put two cards on it to actually make it that way. Uh, that's <laughs> right. that's how far we have to subsidize white these days. It's just not giving two cards for the price of one. That's fine. Actually, I'm, I'm seeing a world uh, with Season Hollow Blade and the sword, and that sure. sounds really good to me. Um, the, the problem I had trying to build like these kind of like mid-rangey, but certainly aggressive leaning white decks last season was that you're just really short on, you're not short on playables, but you're short on impactful cards, especially, yeah. you know, one drops, the one drops. One, are, ones and twos. That's where I always struggled. You just couldn't find meaningful cards for those slots. 
Yeah, the the fledgling landfall creature, I think, is is better than people give it credit for. Yeah. But definitely the one drops are just like all, you know, savannah lions or whatever, which don't really cut it in this day and age. So an impactful one drop. Uh, obviously, if we had a one drop that was, you know, fodder, like I don't think we're going to ever get something as good as Thraben Inspector for a while, but something along those lines, right, where it's like, I don't want to just be mindlessly aggressive and certainly a card like this pushes you in a direction where you want to play a little bit more mid-rangey and a little bit of a longer game. Yeah, and I miss those decks in Magic a lot. Like I think back to like Soldier of the Pantheon decks and just weird white quasi-aggressive but still willing to toe the line and especially in post-board games being able to really shift towards the mid-range control side of the spectrum. I think those decks are a good thing for Magic to have, and hopefully Halvar can open the door a little bit for them to come back. Yeah, it would be cool. I'm not holding my, holding my breath or anything. I'm with you. I'm with you. This, I, I will be open to the fact that this is a little bit of optimism on my part, but let's keep our fingers crossed. Yeah. Uh, I Also, I blew it. I was, I was going to lead with the Pathways because I want to talk about the Pathways first. Okay, let's just uh, pretend like we were smart enough to do that and talk about the pathways first. Nah, it's, it's cool. I, I like owning my mistakes. Uh, so we have the other four pathways. So blue, white, black, red, green, black, green, blue. And it it definitely felt like we were missing these right through standard. Yes. And yes. for historic, a Rakdos dual land that doesn't suck. Huge. Huge. Dude, I'm, I'm loving it. Yeah, and... Like we said, Rakdos already a respectable color in Historic, uh, especially like considering Uro is here right now. And if we are going to push this idea that maybe we're headed towards a post-Uro world, I think Rakdos only improves from that. Although certainly there's metagame ripples that need to be shaken out from those kind of changes. But on the whole, you're right. This is something that that color combination really missed in both Historic and Standard. And it was just more frustrating than a... Like, I'm a big fan of the restrictions breed creativity mantra. I, I do believe in that. And I think it does often apply to mana and standard. It, it's not good that you're able to just do whatever you want, but things just felt awkwardly and needlessly lopsided in the most recent standard. And I, I do think this standard turned out pretty good despite that fact. Like, I don't think it was a fatal knock against the standard, but you felt it. And it was more annoying than interesting, in my opinion. So I am very glad to have this cycle filled out. Yeah, I agree. I mean, th so there were things like Azorius, Urian, right? Where it's like, yeah, the control deck is, just has enough duels mm -hmm. and it doesn't really care. But if you're trying to build, you know, some sort of white lower to the ground deck, like you you really felt that. And certainly when you look at the Rakdos Croxa decks where it's like, God, we have to play these Temple of Malices and yeah. these Triomes and Fabled Passages and your, your mana is just heinous. And this is going to do so much work to solve a lot of problems. And then there's like the blue green one where I'm like, you're only going to cause problems. Get out of here. <laughs> right. Well, at least we have a lot of the uh, cards that would have teamed up with causing problems out of the way at this point. Or I was thankfully gone in standard. So true. But uh, dude, new set, you know, it is funny that in, <laughs> in the absence of Uro or in the absence of this land, Uro was still so good that it had to be banned. Yeah, of course. Didn't even matter. Didn't have this dual land. So for for historic and be honest, playing the Rakdos Arcanist deck, how many times have you looked at an opening hand where Dragon Skull Summit was was messing you up? 
Uh, more, more than I would like for sure. I mean, it, it just is, it's an awkward card and you're a deck that's comfortable playing with very low land counts, but you can't do that with just the Dragon Skull Summit. Like that game is not functional. Um, so it, it happens. It comes up more than I would like. And, uh, I'm looking forward to the day where that card just doesn't have to be in my deck whatsoever. Yep. Same. And I, again, like these, these lands just in general are awesome and I love them. There's some weird stuff going on with particularly things like Racto or things like uh, Croxa and Uro, where you do need those very specific mana colors and you don't necessarily want to have like double red a lot of the times in your uh, Rakdos deck. Although, you know, you can build around that. Maybe you can play Chandra more because you have access to Blightstep Pathway. You generally only want it so you can go ahead and cast the Croxa. So it's awkward. Like these lands are not as functional as we perceive them to be a lot of the times. No, I think. that's true. That's definitely you have true. to be cognizant if you're trying to hit specific mana combinations. These are not always going to be the best. Not trying to say they're not a good tool though. Yeah, just with with most of the hands for Dragon Skull Summit and you know decks like Arcanist, right, where a lot of the time you just want your lands to be able to make black mana because you have like Citrus Supplier, Village Rights, Thoughtseize, Fatal Push type stuff. Yep. Uh, and then you find the red mana kind of later on, right? Yep. I I would I would take Swamp over Dragon Skull Summit in a lot of those hands. Yeah, I think and, that's fair. And just be like, look, I don't have red now. That's fine. At least I get to play a card on turn one. You know, and yeah. I think that that's a much bigger deal. So yep. It, this these are definitely not strictly betters or anything, uh, but I I do like them, and I do think that they're going to solve a lot of problems. I also like the art on these quite a bit. I'm not usually one to call that out, but uh, I don't know. Something about them really captures a good vibe. They they feel like pathways to me, which is cool. Yeah, no, definitely true. Okay, back to the actual spells. Uh, Kaya, the inexorable, three dub B, legendary planeswalker Kaya, five starting loyalty, plus one, put a ghost form counter on up to one target non-token creature. It gains when this creature dies or is put into exile return it to its owner's hand and create a 1-1 white spirit creature token with flying, minus three exile target non-land permanent, and minus seven, you get an emblem with at the beginning of your upkeep, you may cast a legendary spell from your hand, from your graveyard, or from among cards you own in exile without paying its mana cost. I think there is a card. So I feel like every single time we do a preview season, there is a card from the previous standard which very much colors our thinking around all of the new cards we're seeing. And for me, the card I think about more than any other is Urian, always. And maybe I'm just like predisposed to thinking about Urian. That's that's fine. I'll, I'll take that criticism. Well, okay. So it's not, it's not like me thinking about, I don't know, what garbage card am I thinking about most of the time? N- what do you think? Niv Magus Elemental. Well, no, oh, but wait, okay. That's me again. That's me again. Sorry. All right. Yeah. So it's like, I'm, I'm thinking about garbage cards. You're thinking about like actual format defining busted stuff where Urian is the type of card where like every new print potentially makes it that much better. Yeah. So your, your head's in the right place, man. Like it, you, you might think that like, oh, you know, I'm on rails or whatever, but I don't think so. So as soon as you're giving me a way to rebuy Urian, that is piquing my interest. And Kaya obviously does that very regularly and 
seems like you can snowball a game out of control with it, but Urian kind of does that with every card that exists. And I, I, I still think there will come a point in time where that's a card we have to revisit in terms of its whether it's actually beneficial to have in the format, but we'll get there when we get there. The other thing besides that synergy with Urian, and again, any creature which has a comes into play ability, you can talk about Skyclave Apparition again, just generally magic creatures these days. That's that's how we build them is to get paid on this kind of stuff. And I guess you could also even say you get paid on things like the double-faced creatures, like Halvar. You get different sides of it when it comes back to your hand. So it's a unique way to do this effect. It's not a flicker. It's actually coming back into your hand, which could have some benefits. But the other really interesting side of Kaya, and what I think will ultimately be the reason this sees some decent amount of play, is minus three to exile target non-land permanent is a awesome catch-all. And it's the type of effect that it's not something you build your deck around. It's not something that you will always have in the main deck. But as far as a card that's often an important piece of 75s, Kaya checks a lot of the boxes for me where you need that out to something. You don't even know what that something is. You just know there's a deck that uses some type of permanent that causes problems for you and Kaya's in your colors and you just use it to clean up all those problems. And it also functions as a threat because you're built around Skyclave Apparition or whatever other cards you can use to benefit from Kaya's plus one. You give yourself a bunch of wrath protection. The minus seven gets pretty threatening at some point and you're able to both control whatever's problematic from your opponent's side and function as a threat. This is classic Planeswalker stuff and there will always be a home for cards like this. Not a widespread home, but Kaya will find a role in New Standard. So I was on a, another podcast yesterday. Cheating on me? Wow. I was cheating on you. Messed up. Uh, I went on the Faithless Brewing podcast and we talked uh, a little bit about some of these cards and they were kind of down on Kaya. I I don't think that you know Kaya's four of main deck, like new busted planeswalker or anything. The the main reason I like Kaya is because of exile target non-land permanent, like you yep. mentioned, where there's there's just like a lot of random stuff, right? And like how many sideboards do we build with like wilt in them and and whatnot. Right. Right. And there, there were a lot of times where I wish that I could have reached for like a bigger disenchant. So I think I think that Kaya solves a lot of those problems. And certainly in that regard is just at the very least going to make an excellent sideboard card. When we were discussing the plus one, see, this this is why I'm not you. My my brain did not immediately go to Urian. And okay. th- where'd you go? There, well, I don't know. I was I was trying to think and just off the cuff, you know, and didn't come up with anything outside of like the Skyclave apparition stuff. But uh okay. They're they're also like primarily pioneer and modern, right? Sure. So we didn't really talk about it in that extent. And that's obviously like a major failing, right? Because that seems like the best combination to, to go with the plus one. But again, you know, obviously I, I didn't think about everything. Uh, so maybe there's something better. I doubt it. Right. I, I also think that like take away all the other text from this card and make it so it's like a plus one bot, I'm not super interested in leaning into that synergy. Like, I don't think that's how you really push Yuri into the next level. It's just something that you're going to get as an ancillary effect because the minus three is going to be what you're here for. And when you pile up those little interactions, that's when things can get very powerful and the card can become an important part of a strategy as opposed to just a sideboard card. So I see it broadly applied for 75s in the big disenchant role you're talking about. But if it becomes like a key card, it's because plus one with Urian makes a lot of sense. Yeah, agreed. 
I mean, just just like blinking this with Urian is obviously pretty strong too. So yeah. I think I think that it's very much at home in those sorts of decks. You, you can even kill your own treacherous blessing. That's kind of yeah. cool. Yep. A lot the of minus, new tricks with this one. Yeah, the minus seven is whatever because it it's slow, right? It's just like yeah. a very slow burn. But it again, is it is. But again, like with Urian, Urian's that effect energy. can be huge and you think about how Urians are often controlled like you're doing a lot of Elspeth Conquers Death stuff so they do end up in exile a lot of time like I've had scenarios where all of my Urians are somewhere else also like if they're Oblivion ringed or what, what's our Oblivion it's Banishing Light these days right yeah yeah so if, if they're Banishing Light you can cast them from there which yeah. is good way to reclaim them from opposing removal so if that's the type of removal that's being used or if like there's a lot of extinction events around there's just a lot of cases where your urians can end up in exile and i think going to the the minus seven hitting those zones as well is what is pushing it again just little nudges in favor of its playability uh, because it is an expensive planeswalker and we expect a lot from them but I, I think i think this is doing enough as a package that it can see some play yeah i do too and I, even in the context of like we're talking about like bigger white decks or whatever. I think this is a fine top end in small yeah. numbers. So it has that going for it too. Yeah. Good point. Magda brazen outlaw one R legendary cre- creature dwarf berserker two one other dwarves you control get plus one plus. zero. whenever a dwarf you control becomes tapped, create a treasure token, Sacrifice five treasures, search your library for an artifact or dragon card, put that card onto the battlefield, then shuffle your library. The most important thing to me for this card is what other dwarves exist in various formats. And in the context of standard, I think that we're just going to have to wait. Yeah, we need to know the rest of the set. I mean, that's the only way to truly evaluate this card in standard. Although I do have some more to say, but please continue. Yeah, uh, whenever a dwarf you control becomes tapped, so it's not just attacking, that's good. Create a treasure, that's cool. Uh, Maybe your aggro deck has some five drops that you want to accelerate into, or maybe you just get to play a a dragon or an artifact, like a big card to tutor for, that's cool too. Otherwise, this this is just like a reasonable creature that's like pumping your other stuff. Like This is a card that I hope is going to be good in standard, and I think is going to be good enough for older formats too. Yeah, what do you have in older formats that catches your eye? All right, so I did a scryfall search for dwarves legal in historic. And then I did a scryfall search for dwarves legal in modern. It's okay. the same list. Interesting. More or less. More or Very less. interesting. Okay. Uh, so it, the, the only one, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give the one that's coming to my mind, and it's Toolcraft Exemplar. That's a dwarf, right? Yeah. Okay. That, that's the only one that I know. So if there's other interesting ones, I'm, I'm happy to hear them. Dude, it's a good it's a good combo with this, too. It is. It's a very good combo. Uh, you know, you attack, you attack for one on. No. Yeah. You just attack for three. But, you know, you don't get first strike. Right. That's uh, the thing. Or no, no, no. No, no yeah, it, is, it has to. Yeah. It won't attack for three the first time. Yeah. It attacks for one. Yep. Um, so it's, it's not ideal, but it, it yep. is still solid because the, the tool craft exemplar decks in, I guess it attacks for two because it's getting plus one out from the, the math. Okay. Though. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, we both blew it. Math hard. <laughs> the historic decks kind of like struggle getting enough artifacts because, you know, you have things like Bowman and Scrap Heap that are very good, but Mardu vehicles really leaned on when copter was legal or ballista was legal and you don't have a lot of ways to 
really get just kind of like those freebie artifacts. Huh. So this this is good if you want to try and make that work. But uh, there's SRAM, maybe not so good with this. Rimrock Knight, Veteran Motorist, Depala, Fairgrounds Warden. And then the one that is legal in standard is Torbran. Okay, that's a good one. Also have Dwarf in mind too, for whatever that's worth. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if that matters too much. I, I would assume there are probably more dwarves coming, right? Uh, dude, I, w- I would hope so. Otherwise, this card doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Like, Wait, aren't there also the, the seven dwarves? Uh, for for the older formats, yeah. Are they not? In, I thought they were in Eldraine. Am I mistaken? Oh, maybe they are. I think Doesn't I that make sense, right? Like they're like Snow White's dwarves. I noticed them on the modern search. You're probably right. Remember that brawl deck where I put seven dwarves in? I, I do remember that. Yes, I'm pretty sure you beat me with those dwarves. Yeah, this is Eldraine. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know. It, it depends how good this card is, but that's kind of where I wanted to get to. I guess I'll also make mention of there's some legacy cards that combine pretty well with this. Like, it's trying to sell you on a legacy creature deck is it feels a little silly because there's so so much competition, but there are some good combinations. There's like Dwarven Recruiter, which Goblin Recruiter is banned in every format. Now, Dwarven Recruiter costs one more. And part of the reason Goblin Recruiter is banned is because like one, the goblins are better too. It's just stupid and shouldn't exist. Like you shouldn't be able to set the top of your deck basically, but you can do that with Dwarven Recruiter. Yeah. And you could still charbelt your people if you wanted to. There's no like Skirk Prospector or whatever, but uh, Legacy is going to have Ancient Tomb, Chrome Box, all that stuff. Right, right. So yeah, maybe maybe there's something there as far as that setup goes. I, I wouldn't go crazy about it. And we don't really focus too much on Legacy anyway. But in terms of this just being a standard card and take away any support it might possibly have, I think this card might just be good enough. And Just Goblin Piker, when it becomes tapped, create a treasure. Maybe. May, yeah. I mean, that's not so bad in scenarios where you're like you're big red okay and you're a bunch of cheap red removal which isn't that good right now so that's kind of a missing part of the equation you'd want red removal to be a little bit stronger but basically you're picking off opposing blockers you're accelerating your battlefield to your larger spells which in a lot of case can be just big dumb dragons and if you don't have it in your hand you get to go get it from your library which is a pretty nice setup like there's certainly times where you've done your thing, you've controlled the battlefields, you've made some mana, and you're just looking for the payoff, well, Magda goes and gets your payoff for you. And I don't know what the best big dragon is right now. There's like the the one that lets your mana transfer over from turn to turn. I think that's pretty interesting with this card. Um, T- Terror of the Peaks is fine. Terror of the Peaks is fine, yeah. Yeah, so there's good options that you might just be interested in playing anyway. And as far as just like a two power creature that is simultaneously advancing your mana. Like think of the optimal scenario with this card where you've attacked on turn three, attacked on turn four, and now you're ramped to six post-combat on turn four while you got in for four. That all sounds very good in the context of a larger red deck. So I'm not off this card in the absence of dwarves. If you add some good dwarves to the mix, I'm definitely a believer. Yeah. The the thing I want to do most with this is in historic just play like a miser's god pharaoh's gift yeah yeah that's cool and just do that sort of thing and then if you wanted to go back to modern obviously that's a little sketchy or like maybe pioneer is uh dragon lord Colagon is another thing that you can use word so uh you can you can even lean a bit into the treasure side of things like you have things like captain lannery storm that you could do in uh you know it's not 
going to necessarily be good enough for those older formats. But I, I could see just making sure you always have your treasures together and just having a really good payoff. God Pharaoh's gift sounds like a really smart one. Yeah. So this this card seems solid for a lot of different reasons. With you. Uh, again, not mind blown, not suggesting it's like the future, but enough interesting applications that I'll certainly build some decks around it. All right. Who who would we be if I did not make you read this next card or, you know, let you read the next card? Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I'm going to read Toski, Bearer of Secrets, three colorless green, legendary creature, squirrel. This spell cannot be countered. Indestructible Toski Bearer of Secrets attacks each combat if able. Whenever a creature you control deals combat damage to a player, draw a card for a 1 1. And uh, this card's probably not very good. But really? it's close. Yeah, it's closer to being good. It's, it's much closer than I would expect from a playable squirrel. And like, I could see it being a fine sideboard card in some scenarios. I, I, I don't think there's any world where. This doesn't just line up good against a specific strategy as far as just like a default card that you're happy to play. I don't know. Do you, do you see a future for it? So the fact that most of the control decks are, you know, like Skyclave Apparition Urian or Extinction Event. A lot of good blockers out there. It, it makes me feel worse about it. But if, if you were playing against like traditional blue-white control and you had this thing, like I'd be pretty happy about my situation, honestly. Yeah, it's weird in that its indestructibility doesn't protect it all that well. Like, it's still vulnerable to Elspeth Conqueror's death, Skyclave Apparition. All these things do a really good job of taking it out. And that's kind of what removal is shaped like these days. Right. But it it does, you know, like a lot of all those things are sorcery speed, right? So, like, if you get to do Mm -hmm. this and then, I don't know, attack your opponent with some Lovestruck Beast tokens or whatever, that's not too bad. Yeah, I, I see potential worlds where this is a reasonable sideboard option, which is so much more than I could say for any squirrels we've seen in the past. So <laughs> as long as squirrels keep improving, I am here for them. I will have their back. I was hoping for a squirrel token producing card. So I was able to get some use out of my tokens, assuming I ever get to play live magic again, but we're not Dude, there love, yet. Lovestruck beast is like the best chatter of the squirrel ever. Right. But it doesn't actually make a squirrel. So there's this weird thing where like, am I trying to put myself over by using my own token? And I do do that, by the way. I mean, like I'm, I'm proud. I got a token made. It, it excites me. It's fun. So I do use my own tokens regardless of what my opponents think, but it would be so much cleaner and I would do it with less guilt if there were actually good squirrel tokens being made. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I'm actually, I'm kind of sad that you're, you're taking like a realistic approach to this card. Well, look, we know realism isn't always my forte, but uh, I think where I have a particular rooting interest in a card, I try and be even more careful about how far I'm willing to push uh, it on the broken scale. And I, I just have to be honest about this one. It's got a very niche role, and uh, I hope at some point I get to cast it, and it is meaningful. You know what's bullshit is that this is a four-mana card. It's a squirrel, and it doesn't double your mana. Right. Of of all the four mana cards we've had doubling our mana, you just couldn't give it to the squirrel this one time? That, 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 is, that is just messed up, right? Stashing away mana for a rainy day, much like squirrels gather acorns throughout yeah. the fall for winter. Yeah. Instead, just they're just... A lot of, is it giving you a bunch of extra cards, so then you have to then find some other way to double your mana to cast those cards? Right. Does that feel squirrely to you? I don't know. I don't feel like there's enough like foraging and rooting around and saving going on with this card yeah anything else 
It also kind of looks like it should fly. I don't, I don't know why I feel that way. I guess just because it's jumping. And I, I like the showcase art way better than the original art. The original one feels like lizardy to me. I, I know it's probably not. I do a weird thing where I just like see what I want to see on the face of a card. To yeah. me, this looks lizardy. The other one, the showcase version, is like this old, super muscly, but like regal looking squirrel. Uh, and I think I like that vibe a little bit better for Toski. The showcase one, I agree with you, is badass. Uh, yeah. The the normal one, it I'm, it looks like what a, a squirrel chieftain would look like to me. But I agree okay. that there's like, you know. Are you maybe, getting any lizard vibes or is that just me? I, I think it's like the color palette, kind of. Yeah, yeah, maybe that's it. But yeah, the, the showcase one, uh, it's like, it's weird that it's magic art that's like, you know, kind of black and white. Obviously, there's like a lot of green in it too or whatever. Yeah. But. Yeah, it's wild to me that they're they're doing stuff like that. It's cool. No, it, it feels very uh, indie comics to me is kind sure. of the read I get on this. Uh, but I, I think I'll have to look for a, a nice print of this one to put up on my wall. I think it's really cool. Cool. Next card, Sarulf, Realm Eater, 1BG, Legendary Creature Wolf, 3-3, Infinity Wall of Text. Whenever a permanent an opponent controls is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, put a plus one, plus one counter on this. At the beginning of your upkeep, if this has one or more plus one, plus one counters on it, you may remove all of them. If you do, exile each other non-land permanent with converted mana cost less than or equal to the number of counters removed this way. I don't think this card is very good, and I feel like you're about to disagree with me. I wrote an article on this. Did you read it? I didn't read it, no. Okay. The article I liked a lot because I think I went through the process of just kind of like deconstructing this card and figuring out how to use it. And I hope that people got a lot out of that. Okay. Can you give me the Cliff Notes version? And then I'll, I'll go familiarize myself after the podcast. So, so it's a three mana creature, right? Mm. And it needs to be in play when you're killing the stuff. So I think turn three is is completely reasonable for that. But like if you draw it later, that's obviously not very good. So even if you're operating under the assumption that you're going to have this on turn three, how many permanents does your opponent play that you get to kill or trade with? Few. Right? It's, Few. it's, not, a, it's not a ton. Yeah, I, I, I think... So when I started evaluating this card, I came up with some decent use cases as a way to control battlefields which relied heavily on cards with a converted mana cost of one. Now, that doesn't happen in standard. That's just not how standard is played. So you have to think about this card's power level then in older formats if it's going to be meaningful. And I just don't see it as a three mana, three, three that does nothing when it enters the battlefield, dies to basically everything. And you're hoping to get this kind of minuscule payoff that you have to actually kill something else before you even can consider it. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if people are excited about this card. I know only one person messaged, messaged me and was like super high on it. And I was just like, mm, I don't think so. So maybe everyone's with me and they don't see this as much, but it, it's just not there for me. So given that your opponent, you know, isn't, isn't going to have like 20 cards go to the graveyard or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. How many times are you going to get to the pernicious deed away their stuff? I think, Maybe once and threatening the second. 
Uh, so that means that a lot of the power level of this card has to be tied up on it being big. And right. it, it is big. It's it's pretty big, right? It's not like turn four Great Henge big, like Love Struck Beast and Kazandu Mammoth and stuff like that. But it's not bad. And it, it works well with the Great Henge in a lot of different ways. You know, it puts a counter on it. Henge is an expensive permanence. So you're probably not going to have to blow up your own thing. So that's cool. Yeah. But basically, I came to a place where I was like, all right, is there a way that I can cheat this somehow? And uh, figured out that like Field of Ruin is probably the best way to keep this at like a reasonable size. Okay. So that's cool. That's a way of like going through and kind of like deconstructing the card, thinking about how it's actually going to play out. And then once you realize how the card is actually going to play out, it's like, how, how can we actually build around this? So like one of the decks I put in my article was like, oh yeah, you know, you put the pernicious deed wolf in your blue black control deck. Right. And it's like, no, it's a bunch of extinction events and counter spells. Right. Like that, that just doesn't work. And like you have Ugin at your top end or whatever, and your card drawer is maze mind tome. It's just, it's all anti-synergy. Yeah. Uh, so I built like a green black rock deck that I thought was, decent for a lot of reasons and i was like looking for you know big things to play alongside this so that if you did have to blow up the world maybe you get to keep your own things so there's like you know a bunch of elder gargroth yeah. five bunch of field of ruins so that you can get counters on this thing but also just thinking about how the body lines up with things it's like it doesn't get killed by blood chiefs thirst on the cheap it doesn't get stomped it's hard to heartless act so that alone might carry it. Just like the fact that it's a, a creature that is soft immune to a decent amount of removal and then gets a little bit bigger and maybe like it scales pretty well as long as you play it early. Obviously, if you draw it late, it, it just stinks, but it's not terrible. It's not bad, but I, I don't think it's like, you know, pernicious to eat on a creature or whatever. Yeah, I think you make a good case for its use cases. I just don't see any of that being powerful enough to push into the constructed realms. I'll be honest, one thing I didn't really consider is just dumping a bunch of counters on this card. Yeah, just don't remove them. (laughs) Well, not only that, but also just cheating them on there and not using it, not, not putting the plus one, plus one counters via actually putting things in the graveyard, just finding other effects to put plus one, plus one counters. We don't do unofficial spoilers here. There is a widely distributed unofficial spoiler that is about exactly that, putting a bunch of plus one, plus one counters on creatures. So maybe there's something there where you're just using it in that fashion, where it's uh, both your finisher and a way to control opposing battlefields with combination counter cards. But the the counters cards aren't that good. And I, I even don't think the previewed one is all that good, or I should say the spoiled one is all that good. So there would have to be some better way of juicing this thing up. Okay, so I did go down that rabbit hole, and I forgot to mention this. Uh, Green inscription is solid. That's two counters. Okay. Which is a way to, like, you know, win it. It feels like the breakpoint for standard is three. I'm I'm not trying to completely... Right off to, but it feels like you really need to be reliably getting three counters onto this thing if it's used if it's being used yeah. as your way to control opposing battlefields. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that that's just like kind of a, a dark ritual type of thing to get this, you know, pernicious deed going, take yeah. them by surprise, whatever. Yeah. Uh, the great hand I mentioned, which is a cool way to kind of kickstart this thing, and then turn timber symbiosis is the one where it's like, okay, that's actually kind of mm-hmm. cool. Yeah, yeah, I like that. You get the bonus counters, sure. You know, I love a turn timber symbiosis. Right. So I, I did go down that rabbit hole a little bit and then it's like, yeah, you can play with 
Oran Refuse or whatever the card is called and Luminarch Aspirant, but then it's like you're just blowing up your own stuff. So like, what are you doing? You know, yeah, so you, you yeah. really do want it on the other stuff. But Inscription is like, okay, well, if this thing gets really big, maybe you're in a racing situation and that like gives you some life gain or since it's big, then you can actually use it as a removal spell to kill a big creature. Right, and then it gets you, even bigger. Inscription was a card I liked a lot during preview season. Yeah. So I, I was like, okay, these things are solid. It's not really something that I, I feel like I can build a deck around. It's like I'll put one inscription and one symbiosis in my green black deck and, you know, be happy that those synergies exist. Yeah. No, you make a good case for how to build the deck. I'm still a skeptic on whether that is of sufficient power level for the standards we deal with these days, but you, you've at least interested me in the card. As far as its potential in older formats, are, are you just passing there? It, it doesn't seem like it does enough, even if it's triggering off of like opposing fetch lands and things like that. Right. I mean, again, three mana card, your opponent fetches on the first few turns usually. Yeah. So I'm not super rel- relying on that, but I mean, there are decks with like Mishra's Bobbles and things that do come down later where you get a little bit of value. There are some decks like the Death Shadows, Scourge of the Skyclaves, like Red Black deck, but yeah, I mean, they have a fast clock, a lot of disruption, a lot of removal. I feel like they'd be able to break this up pretty easily. And then there's also just like a bunch of Omnath decks and stuff. Like it's not like before where everyone's mana curve in modern was super low, right? Right, right. Uh, so it, it seems tough to me. And then on its face, you know, just a three mana, three, three, it doesn't seem very good, especially since like Fatal Push is usually online for people and Lightning Bolt. Lightning exists. Bolt, yeah, yep, yeah. We so, it sounds like we reached the same conclusions in the older formats. Yeah, not really seeing it, but I do think that like maybe if we were playing Death Shadow Mirrors, like this could be a mirror breaker or something. But we just don't live in that world, right? Showdown of the Scalds, two R Dub Saga, Chapter One. Exile the top four cards of your library until the end of your next turn. You may play those cards. Chapter two and three are the same. They are whenever you cast a spell this turn, put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature you control. We talked about this with Emma Handy last weekend, and I think that her analysis was spot on. I don't know if we have anything to add to that because we did talk about it a little bit. Uh, I just think uh, it feels like the tide has turned on this card over the past week. Most people I'm talking to these days are in on this card. They they believe. So Weird. I think we did our we did our work last week. Was it as a response to like listening to the podcast or? Well, I, I only talked about it with them after that point. So I I would assume uh, it was in, in response to the podcast. Yes. So that that's good. I have no beef with that. Look, if, if we did our job appropriately and got people on board with the way we were thinking that that's what we're here for. So if they listen to us and now they're on board, that's fine. You're allowed to change your position. But see, I, I, I agree with you, but I want them to be like, you changed my mind. <laughs> okay. You want the credit for it. Well, I don't want the credit. I just want to know that like people are listening in taking what we say to heart and they're, they're listening. They're out there listening. I promise that, that we're having an impact. That's all. Yep. Yeah, I think I think we did good work with this card and got people thinking about it the right way. And by we, you include Emma in that because she was a big part of course, of, that, I hope. of course. Cool. Uh, last two cards I like a lot for older formats. Nice. Okay, Realm Walker two G two three creature shapeshifter has changeling, which means that it is every creature type. As this enters the battlefield, choose a creature type. You may look at the top card of your library. Any t- it says anytime, not at any time. Is that new? Feels new to me, uh, but I don't know for sure. 
You may cast creature spells of the chosen type from the top of your library. It's possible that I just never read these cards close enough. Sure. We've we've been across that many times here on the podcast. <laughs> we learned something new about a card we've read 10,000 times. Yeah, so a uh, little, little coarser of crew fix action for creatures. And, I mean, green has a lot of mana fixing. If we are talking about older formats, like the mana bases are pretty good. So, you know, if you're talking about this, this is probably a stupid idea, but like merfolk splashing green or whatever, right? It's like, yeah, you could you could probably put this card in your deck pretty easily if you wanted to. Uh, it is a green card, so things like elves come to mind. Uh, the one that I think could really utilize this card and the next one is something like Elementals, though, because they're a more combo-y tribe. Mm, nice. Yeah, that, that's a good little pickup. This type of effect is very important, especially in post-sideboard games for a lot of tribal creature decks. I mean, you can even go back to... The most recent, oh no, I don't know what it's called again. Zendikar Rising Championship, I guess. And look at the Goblins deck being uh, focused around, what's what's the card called again? Horn of something? Something Horn? Herald's Horn? Herald's Horn, thank you. Uh, a, a very similar type effect to Realm Walker and how important that was in being able to go long against decks, which did a good job of blunting your early offense. Realm Walker doing a lot of the same stuff. I... I do consent that that effect is better on a non-creature permanent because it's dodging all the removal that you're concerned about. But still, yes. there, there's a place for this card in long attrition games and a way to put some card advantage in archetypes that otherwise don't have it. And I also just love changelings. Like I, I think you find really cool, goofy stuff to do with them. They bring up uh, the you, best you, kind of rules confusion. You like reveal this to a Sylvangar scorn or whatever. Right, right, yeah. I, I, I like things like that a lot. So I don't have a particular home in mind for Realm Walker yet, but your instincts seem right to me where it's more apt to hit in formats with a really deep creature pool than in standard where the games mostly won't be about tribal synergies. But we're seeing some tribal synergies pop up in these previews thus far. We do have our dwarf lord and who knows what other particular creature types are going to be a focus of this set. So maybe that is what Realm Walker is doing. Ooh, okay, so for modern, I will admit, in my my search for dwarves was not extensive enough because I did not search for all the changelings. Ah, uh, that's a that's a huge piece of the puzzle there, dude. Moth dust change changeling changes everything. You know? There's the uh, black changeling from Modern Horizons, the, the one, one mana one. Yeah. yeah, I mean that that sees legacy play. That's a legacy quality card right what? there. What deck? Yeah, is that? it gets it gets played in like the uh, the ninjas decks with the uh, Thopter yeah, thing. Yeah, okay. So Yuri- it, it's out there. Yuriko. Yeah. Yep. Yuriko's a dope card. Uh, you can collect a company into this. Uh, so that that's kind of like another reason why I like stuff like this in older formats is that you have more ways to just like generate mana. You know, mm-hmm. you like vial this into play. You have a right. fetch land to fix the top of your deck. It's like you can't can't really do that crap in standard. Yeah, toss this in something like Bant Spirits, and I mean that that works. I don't know if that's this is actually the card that Bant Spirits wants, but they don't really have access to things like uh, a card advantage creature. They have to rely on collected company solely. And if I'm playing the deck, I'm just going to miss. So I need some kind of secondary option to generate card advantage in a deck like Bant Spirits. So maybe Realm Walker has a place there too. Yeah, that that idea came up on Faithless Brewing, and then I brought it up in the context of like you know maybe this sees play in humans or whatever. Did you uh-huh. hear that? Did you hear that giant bonk? By the way, yeah, what was that? Oh god! <laughs> so 
one of one of my cats is just like biting my computer cord. So I was trying to like shoo her away with my foot, you know, just like give mm-hmm. her a little nudge, and she bit me. <laughs> That'll teach you. So then I instinctively just like jammed my knee against the bottom of my desk. Yep. Well, you know, you tried to take something away from a cat. You should know that the cats make all the rules and control your space. And if they want to eat your computer, they will do so. Oh, man. So I I got double ouched. I deserve this. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. uh, Pyre of Heroes. Two mana artifact. Uh, Again, a lot of text kind of, but it's familiar text. Two tap. Sack a creature. Search your library for a creature card that shares a creature type with the sacrifice creature and has converted mana cost equal to one plus that creature's converted mana cost. Please stop eating my cords. Why are you? (laughs) Not happening. She already made a position on this clear. She's going to eat that cord. And if you interject, you're going to get bit. Uh, Put that card on the battlefield. Shuffle your library. Activate this ability only anytime you can play sorcery. Uh, I thought about writing about this card and it would, it would have just taken me hours. forever. Yeah. Yeah. So I was yeah, like, I, I can't, I wrote I can't about like this. prime speaker Vanifar back in the day. And you commit to just spending 40 hours on your article that week. Yeah. I wrote about Vanifar in standard. And I, I think back to that time and I'm like, I just must've had a lot of energy. Cause I remember doing like <laughs> scryfall searches and like looking at all the different color combinations. And I'm just like, I thought about doing that for this and I'm just like, nah, I'll, I'll write about the stupid wolf. Yeah, those are in the uh, pre-pandemic times when energy was at an all-time high and you could commit to investing that much effort in your article. But these days, that's just a huge ask. Figuring out exactly what to do with Pyre of Heroes has not crossed my plate yet. I'm going to wait for a full spoiler because I, I want to focus on this mostly in standard because I think for this to work, like this type of effect to work in older formats, it needs to be comboing. For the most part, I, I don't think you can just do this fair. Yeah. And the combos that exist in older formats, I think they cross creature types way too much for this to work as an engine in all of those decks. Now, I'm not saying that certainly. I want to double check and triple check my work as far as that goes. But I don't have anything on my plate right now, which is like a broken modern or pioneer combo deck. Have you spotted anything thus far? No, like like I said, with Rome Walker, the first thing that came to mind with this was like, well, elementals could probably use this the most, right? Because they have a bunch of value, a bunch of ETB things. Maybe there's, you know, some stuff that untaps and generates mana or whatever. And then things like elves, they're they're not really about like, oh, I'm going to find my specific thing with this ETB. It's like, I'm going to generate a bunch of mana and I need like a nettle sentinel and a heritage druid. Right. Yeah. So I, do, yep. I don't think that they're super interested in this, uh, but there are definitely combo. tribes like elementals that, you know, maybe you can combo kill someone. I don't know. Yeah. But- well, the, the fact that elementals are getting Omnath access these days is a huge reason to just give them more props all across the board. Right. They have yeah. very explosive Omnath turns. And uh, as far as like pure combo kills, there may not be one, but if you just go, Omnath into Omnath, like you'll find some way to kill them, I'm sure. Right. And that's the thing too, is elementals scales up on the mana cost a little bit more. Like they have good four and five mana options, right? So they do. This this card seems pretty nice there, but like they're they're also, I don't know, fairly mana efficient and kind of low to the ground despite playing some more expensive stuff. And this is a little bit clunkier. So I don't know. 
Uh, one of the things that is really interesting about this card in standard is if there are going to be meaningful changelings in this set, then there's a, a lot of ways to kind of cheat on this, which I think then becomes pretty interesting. I am just reserving judgment on this card. I want to see the full spoiler, but there's no question that this is a powerful effect. Like we don't have to debate that. We lived through it with Birthing Pod. And again, a lot of the restrictions are off. There was weird things going on with Phyrexian Mana. All that stuff matters a ton. I'm not trying to call this the next Birthing Pod, but I, I hope there's something we can figure out to do with this card because Birthing Pod is one of my favorite magic cards of all time. And I, I feel like I get a lot of heat for saying that because people did not love pod in modern, but I loved it in standard too. And it was much fairer in standard. And I pro- probably played it more in those formats than I should have because there were other very, very good options around. It was um, a good standard card though. It was, it was definitely it was, it was fine. fair and at home in that format. Yeah, yeah, I, I thought so. And you could do interesting stuff and there's a lot of decision-making. So those type of pod games were always some of my favorite, and I hope Pyre of Heroes does some of that in standard this go-around. One thing I will note to kind of poo-poo on this card is that a two-mana activation cost is pretty steep. And Yeah, very different than the Phyrexian activation cost. Yeah, you would much rather see that mana front-loaded on the overall casting cost. Agreed. Um, because this, this is going to be a tall order as far as like, you know, playing a creature and potting it away on the same turn and Vanifar got away with that because it, it was a creature, right? So it's like summoning sick, your opponents had a chance to kill it, whatever. And this might be a little too slow because of that. Yeah, I, I will say though, like the four mana jam looks nice. Like it does. Play, a th- play a three drop and then just on your four mana turn, you just play this activate immediately on the three drop. And, you know, it was probably some kind of three drop like Lana War Visionary or something like that that you're getting paid on and then go find something good with it. Again, if the tribal synergies line up, I am uh, a hopeful buyer in this card. Word. I, I want it to be good. I think that this is, I mean, maybe maybe this ability has kind of like been done to death at this point, but this is still a, a pretty fun sideways effect that I think a lot of people gravitate towards. So I'm happy right. that something like this exists. Yeah, with you. Unless you're finding something that doubles your mana. And then boo. Yeah, boo. boo. Stop doubling mana. Uh, What else? I think that's it. That's it. That, that's Those are all the officially previewed cards thus far. Some interesting stuff going on in the non-official stuff, but we'll wait. There's no rush for that. It'll it'll all come in a matter of time, uh, and then we'll, we'll get into that stuff in future episodes. Cool. Not going to do a question this week. Didn't even bother asking. No, that's, that's our Christmas present to our fans. We're giving you the week off from having to ask questions. <laughs> yeah. Just looking out for you this holiday season. Want you to take it easy hey, uh, and enjoy your time with your family and friends, although hopefully safely and socially distanced. And my Jerry cat. will enjoy his time with his cat and wrangling them from eating his computer. Yeah, my cat does not have the night off, apparently. <laughs> Still working hard. Really hard. Harder than I've seen her work in quite some time. Good for her. Way to find that energy. Game. Good luck.